0: as we move through life we want to do the same things we liked doing when we were younger we we have might have to do different versions of them but we don't suddenly you know at a given age become disinterested in the stuff we've always been interested in and you know just want to buy rocking chairs so one way in which i think marketers can change the culture you know now we see a lot more advertisements with people of color right Let's see age diversity along with ethnic diversity, along with size diversity. If everyone in the room or in the in the ad is the same color, you know, that's a problem. If they're the same age, that's a problem too. i There is no category of products that that old people want because we are old.
1: Welcome to Longevity Gains, the show that reveals the near limitless opportunities for digital marketers and entrepreneurs in the longevity economy. We're talking about the people aged 50 and over who already account for more than half of consumer spending in the U.S. and 83% of household wealth, which will only increase in the years to come. It's the $22 trillion opportunity you can't afford to ignore. hey there everyone and welcome to another episode of longevity gains i am your host brian clark and if you're wondering why more and more marketers entrepreneurs and small businesses are focusing on consumers over the age of 50 you'll want to get up to speed fast with our free ebook which is called longevity economy fundamentals you can pick that up for free by subscribing to our newsletter at longevitygains.com. All right, so in a previous episode of the show, Jared and I discussed kind of the blurred lines between marketing and advocacy when you're dealing with a group of people that has been kind of historically ignored and marginalized by not only businesses and advertisers but by size society at large and and we're talking about ageism here so I thought it would be interesting and instructive to talk to one of the leading anti-aging activists out there to get a perspective that both complements and often expands upon what we're trying to do as marketers and entrepreneurs now Uh, Ultimately, our roles may diverge uh, because there is a difference between activism and marketing, obviously, but uh, I think you'll find this instructive, and that's specifically why I reached out to Ashton Applewhite to come on the podcast and talk to us about her work. Ashton is the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism and she's a leading spokesperson for the emerging movement to raise awareness of ageism and to dismantle it. She's a co-founder of the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse, and she's been recognized by the New York Times, the New Yorker, National Public Radio, and the American Society on Aging as an expert on ageism. She speaks widely at venues that include a, a TED Talk, the United Nations. She's written for Harper's The Guardian and the New York Times, and is the voice of Yo Is This Aegis, her uh, own personal blog. Please welcome to the show Ashton Applewhite. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, very much a fan of your work, uh, your book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Aging. Uh, I have to tell you, I've read om- ageism. I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, my I, gosh.
0: I, I still okay. do that. People do Jerry. it all the time. But no, Jerry, we got
1: to start over. That was a crucial mistake right at the beginning. So that's the cold I, I, open, right? <laughs> yeah, I that's the cold open. Cold open. All right. The blooper reel right there. Okay, we're starting over. That was stupid. Okay. It's, it's not stupid. It's really easy to do, and I do it. <laughs> okay. Well, at least we got off to a, a, a little bit of levity here. Okay, here we go. Ashton, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Your book, Uh, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, is one of my favorite in the space. I've read everything out there, and it's all fascinating to me because we have, there's just so much that's wrong, misconceptions, stereotypes, that, that just kind of blows your mind how casually ageist our society is. But what I love about your book is it actually is a manifesto. I mean, you feel... The uh, enthusiasm and the determination in your writing. And uh, I appreciate that. So, and I'd also like to point out oldschool.info, uh, a great double meaning there with the title, but just so much valuable information. So, both of these things I think are required resources for anyone who's interested in serving older consumers. So, we're going to make sure and link those things up in the show notes. But I just wanted to point out uh, this is why I was so excited to have you on the show. So thank you and welcome.
0: Thank you. What a lovely, generous introduction, and also fun to read.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, people hear
0: manifesto and they think, oh, it's going to be just like solid fiber. And there's a lot of fiber, but it's not a tome.
1: All the substances there that you'll read in in other books that we've mentioned, but uh, you kind of breeze right through it because. Uh, rather than preachy, it's more a call to arms. And I, I I hope that's a fair assessment.
0: Thank you. I got a really good piece of advice before I wrote it. A friend said, don't use the word should.
1: Exactly. And older people hate that word anyway. So.
0: Everyone hates it. No one it's, likes shoulds.
1: There are some people that are more susceptible to authoritarian forms of communication, but yeah, we're not we're not talking to them. So anyway, uh, I want to start off by talking a little bit about your background and what led you to this point in uh, in your career, your life uh, that you decided to become an anti ageism activist.
0: Uh, well, I have never had any sort of plan for my life or any um, career trajectory um, of any sort. Uh, I would, I would, I came to this for the not terribly original reason that, uh, I probably was looking in the mirror, but I was thinking, wow, this getting old thing, you know, I think we just, it's hard to imagine it happening as children. And I don't, I I think that's human, you know, part of it's ageism, but part of it's just, gee, it happens really slowly and then it sneaks up on you. And I realized how apprehensive I was and being a nerdy person, I started interviewing people over 80 who work was my original scope and learning about longevity. And I realized in a matter of months, if not weeks, how much of what I thought uh, I knew about late life or what it was going to be like to be really old was way off base or flat out wrong. And I had a blog. I thought it was very modern because I had a blog and it had a a word cloud. You know, those diagrams, that the most used words are the biggest or boldest and ageism was just their dead center. and it became you know obvious to me pretty early on that that bias between our ears and in the culture was um, the biggest obstacle between us and making the most of late, later life.
1: So yeah I <laughs> right, right. I always like to hear everyone's origin story because I mean we all have that in common to varying degrees. Uh, you know, for example, I'm 56, and um, I may write it off to a lack of maturity or just constant immaturity. But I don't feel like I perhaps thought I would at 56. I feel great. You know, uh, my 40s weren't great, like a lot of people, even though it was my most successful period in my career. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, if if I'm not happy now. What do I have to look forward to? And that's when I got introduced to the U-shape happiness curve, which you mentioned in your book. And and that was really what brought me in. I read The Longevity Economy in the fall of 2018. Uh, I started our project Further, which speaks to people at midlife, primarily Gen Xers who have their own kind of unique transition going on into uh, the second half So, yeah, it's really interesting. But the common theme with everyone is, well, I don't feel old, (laughs) you know.
0: What does old feel like?
1: Exactly. But we have these conceptions and misconceptions largely.
0: One of the many things that amazes me, and I'm always, it's just like, I'm always learning new things. It's the biggest field imaginable. Aging connects to every field of study, every aspect of being human. So if you had told me, 15 years ago, I'd be fascinated by aging. I would have said, ew, why do I want to think about something sad and depressing? And it's just the obvious, but is that that curve that shows that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives persists even in a deeply ageist culture that tells you in midlife, when things for most people are toughest, it's all going to suck even worse.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. And it, but we find that 65 to 79 may be the best years of your entire life. And that's cool. But it's also cool that it starts feeling better after 50. Your values shift a bit. You focus more on what you want instead of what you should, as uh, as we've already mentioned. Let me ask you about this. Because one of the big things for me as a, a writer and entrepreneur has been a focus on language in a way uh, surrounding uh, this field that I hadn't really considered how much of it is just kind of casually ageist in itself. Let's look at the word aging. We're all aging from the second we're born, but we only use that word when you pass a certain point. Used to be 40, but that's kind of too early now. Maybe now it's 50 plus when we start getting ignored as we'll We'll get into um, what are your thoughts on that? Do we embrace the word aging for us, or is that even part of the problem?
0: Well, I mean, the there all these words. the, The problem, of course, is the negative association that attaches itself to aging. We are aging from the minute we are born. Aging is living. You know, one of my pet peeves is the use of aging as an adjective to replace older aging parents aging celebrities the real the word in in typically in those contexts what people really mean is older so we need to educate ourselves about aging as we need you know learning about any scary thing the monster under the bed when you're a kid makes it less scary when it comes to aging there are real monsters you know there are legitimate fears of getting sick ending up alone but pretending they're not there or sort of the other end of the spectrum, the sort of positive aging. You know, it's all going to be fine if you eat enough kale. That's no, that's no help either. We need to lear, educate ourselves about aging. And one of the first things you learn is that your fears, while may, they they're they're different for each of us, of course, depending on our um, a million things. we we're you know we we grow more different from each other as we age. But our fears are invariably far greater than the reality. Yeah, portion.
1: The concept that kind of got me on to ask you that question is aging in place. Like that's all you do. You're just aging. You're not living anymore. You know, you're not thriving. You're not uh living the happiest years of your life. You're aging in place. Anyway, uh, some trade.
0: of it right. Yeah. I mean, and I would like there's so many things I'd like to swap out. I'd like to um swap out um aging in place for aging in community. You know, that's the mm-hmm. most important thing that we need.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so given that uh, This Chair Rocks was written in 2016, and you have been working tirelessly the seven years since uh, pushing the ball forward, I thought it would be interesting to, to kind of frame this interview in the context of how much progress has been made, are you more optimistic, Uh, Are we seeing things change? I have been generally in the field since 2019, but really uh, since I started this project, Longevity Gains and Educating Other Marketers, I've had to become somewhat of an activist myself against ageism because the marketers and entrepreneurs have the same misconceptions that everyone else has. And that's step number one. So uh, anyway, so accounting for my own confirmation bias, because I pay religious attention to this sector and everything you and, and many of your colleagues uh, are saying, are things getting better? I, I'm seeing more mainstream media attention, notably the New York Times. Their editorial board said this is the biggest story going around, the aging of the population, and they've covered it mostly well, some missteps. Um, but generally, across the board, we're, the society is getting older as a population. Birth rates are continuing to fall. Uh, your attitudes about aging matter. Uh, old people are not what you think they are. All of this. So that, to me, that's my perception. I want to hear what you think, though.
0: I mean, I, I know, and I likewise check, like, am I just hearing this because I want to hear it, that ageism is is part of many, many more conversations and headlines than was the case even a year ago. You know, I mean, I have a Google prompt set to ageism. I can tell you the list is longer. But I think it's, you know, it's out there. We, we do see it in Israel. I think a good example is all the conversation around the age of presidential candidates and whether mm. people Quote unquote, too old to run for office. It, you don't see those stories anymore without the line in there, usually right up front and often in the headline, that this is ageist. And even if the bias persists, we can't, culture change is slow. We can't get anywhere without awareness. So the awareness is massively shifting and that is exciting. And I have to say, um, you know, it had, I am enormously optimistic on a number of uh, counts. When I started uh, the old school anti-ageism clearinghouse with two people in 2016, um, 18, we didn't even have a campaign section. And now there's more than 35 campaigns around the world, some of which have been taken off already because they're no longer active. I mean, the World Health Organization, not the World Old People Organization, launched a global 10-year campaign to combat ageism, that's the name of it, in 2020. This um, October, Help Age International, which is a big global organization, launched a three-year global anti-ageism campaign called Older Not Over, which is wonderful because it focuses on the majority world and people we we in the West often don't hear that much from. Um, The United Kingdom is launching a national Uh, anti-ageism campaign uh, with billboards and bus shelters and the whole thing in early 2024. Um, uh, Ageism Awareness Day started in Australia three years ago. This year, it had the backing of the American Society on Aging and was picked up, you know, not all over the place. I'm not delusional, but there's real momentum. I have concrete evidence of that. And these things are you know geometric they they do reach tipping points so i think i'm extremely excited about where we've gotten and where we're going
1: it's yeah that's exceptional and i'm glad to hear that you are so optimistic and i mean i'm a
0: pragmatist per- i am you know this is a long game don't think i don't know that
1: yeah absolutely i think so as well and we'll kind of get into that because uh it's taking longer for some people who should be Incredibly interested uh, to to get going. So it shoulds <laughs> shoulds. Um, your book touches on uh, the work of Becky Levy about uh, how positive attitudes about aging literally extend your life and positively impacts your health span. And when we come down to it, it's at least from the standpoint I think of uh, the marketing a- angle is. It's really about what some people call active agers. I don't know if you like that term or not, but it's the people who have that uh, vibrant health span that are in good shape. Because let's face it, forty-something percent of the U.S. population is obese at all ages. So not everyone it's takes not care age- of themselves. It's <laughs> not
0: age dependent, right? A lot it's of what not. we think of as diseases of old age are often conditions. I mean, there, there are some Parkinson's Alzheimer's, but most of the comorbidities is the you know $10 word of the, you know, series of health issues that affect us in greater numbers in older people, are conditions that, you know, we sowed the seeds for in we, either genetically when we were born or, you know, early in life. So uh, I mean age has less to do with it than we think it does. Um I don't love the term active ager because um, it's ableist, you know, ableism is, is prejudice and stigma around how our minds and bodies function. And there are plenty of people with disabilities, visible, invisible, what we would consider, you know, severely incapacitating or not, that will assure you that they live meaningful, purposeful, valuable lives. So when we peg it, the idea of aging well, to um, an idea that you're out there playing pickleball every day or, um, you know, able to lift weights, able to go to the gym. Lots of people aren't. Lots of people can't afford it. And I think it's incredibly important to have our view of older people encompass disability, encompass people who live in, you know, use canes. I think we need to show all this stuff because that's how we defang it. I mean, there's so much stigma around this stuff. Don't don't get me started on a close friend who has Parkinson's, it's progressing rapidly. He falls all the time and he won't use a cane. That is not helpful. And it is because of the dual stigma. He says, people will think I'm old. They'll think I'm disabled. They already do. And as long as we're ashamed of that or, you know, don't use, I I mean, it's a longer thing, you know, all the shame around asking for help. So active aging is sort of a way of brushing the scary stuff under the rug. Super important to try and remain active to move. We know all those things are good for us, but there's no right way to age. And people who are not, ac- or you know, less active than other people still live long lives are, you know, and enjoy, you know, really good lives to the end. And we need to, we need to tell all the stories.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. That's very interesting and a great point. It reminds me of the stigma around hearing aids because they're number one, they're so hideously designed, you know, if Apple would make a hearing aid, then, you know, and it's fascinating to me that Apple is the leading brand among older consumers, but they don't market necessarily to older people. They create functional products. I, I always like to make the point that the company that coined I've fallen and I can't get up, went out of business quickly. The successor company is just a niche little direct marketing company, but the greatest fall detection technology that exists is an Apple watch, which people over 50 buy in uh, incredible numbers because it's an empowering device, not, not because, they buy
0: it because they like it. I mean, it may empower, yeah. but it doesn't empower older people more than it empowers middle-aged people. Right.
1: It right.
0: Empowers, right. It empowers everybody. Coincidentally, uh, my stepson works at Google in the ear, earbud, bud, ear, you know, ear doodad um, end of thing. <laughs> and he was, you know, said at one point to, to his managers, you know, if, um, it, it, you know, if we could put some of the uh, um, hardware in the back, like a hearing aid, we wouldn't, we would have, we would be able to get better sound and so on. If we didn't have to fit the doodad inside the ear at instant kibosh even if it could because of the stigma of it being associated with uh, hearing aids, which is just so stupid.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a nice transitional point into, I think, the heart of what our audience is looking for. Now, we're not at the big brand level. We're more small business, entrepreneurial level. But, uh, you know, in, in your book, 2016, people, businesses ignore... Older people. Once you pass fifty, you're invisible somehow. Even though uh, the vast amount of household wealth and disposable income is held by this, uh, you know, this segment, uh, which is very many segments actually, and we'll talk about that. Exactly. But. You know, and and my my thesis as an entrepreneur is marketing created this problem, and marketing market forces can fix it alongside activism. In that, uh, the the baby boomers have been at both end of this. Uh, they were celebrated as children and teenagers um, to a degree that led to old people are bad which persisted. Exactly. And that has been my theme. And when I discovered this, I'm like, well, then we can help fix this. Right. Um, So 2016 to 2023, what you say in your book, I say in this newsletter to this day, they're still ignoring us. And it's even more obvious that it can't keep going like this, that that uh, businesses must embrace the older consumer because it's not just the longevity economy. Soon it will be the economy in, in many uh-huh. ways. Right. Have you seen any progress? I'm saying barely, if any.
0: <laughs> um, I see more representation of older women in the media, but that's not exactly um marketing. I mean at some there's I see a very direct analogy between um you know and I know you want to touch on this but on um, the shortage of um you know the, the 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 labor shortages and yet the continued reluctance to hire older people. So I think um you know I don't think I think um marketing and advertising has an important role to play here especially by representing older people i mean most most you know when as we move through life we want to do the same things we liked doing when we were younger we we can't we we have might have to do different versions of them but we don't suddenly you know at a given age become disinterested in the stuff we've always been interested in and you know just want to buy rocking chairs so one way in which i think marketers can change the culture you know now we see a lot more advertisements with people of color Right. Let's see age diversity, along with ethnic diversity, along with size diversity. If everyone in the room or in the, in the ad is the same color, you know, that's a problem. If they're the same age, that's a problem, too. I, there is no category of products that that old people want because we are old. We might need the the only the, the confusing, the, the complicating thing. And it has to do, again, with that overlap with ableism and ability, the the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. We age at different rates, physically, socially, cognitively. The one thing, I'm, I'm making a circle in the air to indicate a circle on a Venn diagram. The one constant of aging is that our bodies function less well. Cognitive decline is not inevitable, but so older people do need, you know, better interfaces with, you know, they, we, we need large print. I need a bright screen. Um, We, a handrail is handy, whether or not I need it or not, I will tomorrow. Right. But other than that, to market to old people because of age, frankly, makes no sense to me. And um, I'm curious about your, throw that idea back in my face and see where, see where we get.
1: Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot to unpack there yeah. as far yeah. as what needs to be done here. Um, the advertising industry, Madison Avenue, is notoriously ageist. Like if you're 30 oh, yeah. or 35, you're too old. The tech industry is similar. These two industries have to worst. change. A- because,
0: advertising and tech, I agree.
1: Right. Without the input of older people, you can't effectively design or market to uh, older consumers. I, I empathy the is of, it, the same
0: of any group.
1: Right. You know, right. We,
0: you need to, there's no way a, a 22
1: year old knows how to speak to you or even I, you know, it's, it's just not empathy only goes so far. I mean, I'll even push
0: back on that, Brian, suppose you're fans of the same, you know, um, TV show. You have plenty to talk about. You may have a narrower range, but an age gap alone is not a reason to assume that you couldn't have stuff to say to each other.
1: Oh no, absolutely, I agree with that. And and I wanted to say that entertainment has done a better job with representation, and sadly, it's because streaming doesn't rely on advertisers, so uh-huh. they're free to make the Kaminsky method or Frankie and uh, uh, Jane Fonda's Fra- show, Grace and
0: Frankie, right? Grace
1: and Frankie, right? Which is amazing, and I can't believe Jane Fonda's eighty-five. She is amazing. You know. Um, so yes, so we we do have that representation, and I think it's it's helpful. Uh, you're seeing uh, another term I don't like, but grand grandfluencers on TikTok. You know, uh, I worry that younger people see this as a novelty. But you know, any kind of representation is Inherently
0: helps. good, right? It yeah. just is. I mean, even the like the dopey, you know, Golden Bachelor. There's a ton <laughs> not like about that show. But showing older people as, ro- as interested in romance, as sexually active is inherently good. So I think if if advertisers have a role to play by showing uh, older people shopping for things besides medicine and cruises and showing people of all ages buying, you know, mopeds or furniture or, or games or laundry detergent or whatever the hell it is, because we use that stuff lifelong. We don't stop doing most of the things we did when we were young, just because we got older.
1: Yep. I love that you brought up the golden bachelor, because I despise the bachelor in general. But I think the golden bachelor, you know, it's a good thing. You know, it's It's still vapid, but
0: (laughs) it's way, way, way more good and bad. And they're not pretending that age, you know, that the age gaps don't exist, you know, that that the age of the they're not hiding it. Thank you. Exactly.
1: So I want to ask you this uh, just to kind of get your your thoughts. Um, I think there's always a tension between commercial interest and activism, um, even though they should, in my mind, be allies. But often you you get a a corporate uh, take on social justice, what have you, and it just rings hollow or or, uh, insincere. Uh, on an earlier episode here Jared and I talked about the a- Apple uh, video about their environmental initiatives and how they tackled the cynicism about corporate initiative initiatives like that uh, we-, we thought in a very smart way uh, in in this realm uh, dealing with uh, older consumers, Do you feel that marketing and activists are allies? Is there attention, and if so, what can be done to dissipate that?
0: What would you say is the goal of marketers in this? You know, marketing to older what's what's their goal?
1: Well, for me, on the consumer side of things, my uh, from an from an educational standpoint, I'm not a brand advertiser; I'm a content marketer. So uh, it's about telling people at midlife, which research shows are the most open to changing their attitudes about aging that, look, it's not bad, it gets better. And there's all this stuff we get to do and Generation X, uh, we can't afford to retire a lot of us. So why don't we change our attitude about that and say, I don't want to stop working. I want to stop what I'm doing now and do something else, right? So it's about adjusting attitudes is is my take.
0: So I would say that, and you know, you can put on the marketer hat and I'll put on the activist hat. I mean, that is 100% in sync with my goal, which is to change the way we think, feel, and act about aging from this passive sense of resignation and pessimism to a more nuanced, and accurate view of it, um, you don't make money being an activist, and people who um, whose job it is to make money, which is most people under capitalism, and the higher up the corporate ladder you go, the more I think important that becomes, tend to um, look down on people who don't um, make money or who don't prioritize making money, and. Everyone has to make I don't mean to be preachy here. like I'm not you know I need to pay my rent and I like money as next much as the next person, but you have a sort of priority disconnect there. I mean, we you are not going to you, the world is not going to sell lots of tons of money, lots of goods to older people without this culture change. So y'all could donate you know, all these people making all the money marketing donate to social justice causes like the old school clearinghouse, you know, help fund the people who are working towards the culture change without which you're not going to sell things. You are working, you, Brian, are working on that culture change piece of it, which, you know, and I love the way you frame that. So in that sense, we are very distinct allies and we can agree, you know, maybe the blah, blah corporation wants to do it to sell more widgets. And maybe I want to do it to build solidarity across other social justice causes, but that doesn't matter in the abstract. We are working to change the culture for reasons of health, for reasons of a better world. You know, I mean, I won't, I'll get I won't get on my, you know, sparkle pony unicorn here, but a better world to grow old in is a better world for everybody.
1: Absolutely agree with that.
0: And one more point that most marketing, you know, it's it's hard to monetize satisfaction. So, you know, capitalism always needs new markets. When natural transitions in our bodies are pathologized, we can be sold remedies, remedies, in quotes, to cure them or fix them. Um, When if wrinkles are the worst problem in the world, then we see what happens with the multi-billion dollars anti-aging piece of the skincare industry. So there are a lot of marketers out there who are making problems out of aging so that they can profit off our discontent. And that is um, ethically uh, very deeply problematic.
1: Oh, yeah. We talk about this all the time. Inadequacy marketing. Uh, was in vogue in the 20th century became not the way things are done, except with older people who respond to negative messages the yeah. least. Like we tune that up. <laughs> the older well, you also, get,
0: we're you know older people are often the most ageist of all because we have a lifetime true. of absorbing these messages, and most of us have never thought to question them. You know, with every other group. You know, if it's the goth kids in the cafeteria, well, they're up against the you know bland sea of you know prepsters. With aging, because everyone is aging, there's no out group or other group to identify with or reject other than our own own future older selves. And that's a very complicated piece of reckoning.
1: Yeah, the the most weirdly fascinating aspect is subjective age, where we say. Oh, those people my age are old, but I'm not, right? And that's just exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One more thing. So historically, the the argument for cutting things off at fifty was, well, you're heading towards retirement, you're saving for that. Then you get to retirement, you don't spend money anymore, and the baby boomer generation has basically blown that up. Uh, then the argument was well we don't want to be seen as an older brand older person brand because that'll alienate the kids well dropping birth rates is killing that because there's not going to be enough kids with enough money and i'm not sure they're brand loyal anyway i've got gen z kids and they flip from thing to thing quicker yeah, than I, know. Anyone I mean it's I've a little seen. like
0: to me it's a little like and i'm sure um I, this is mercifully becoming an obsolete analogy but when you had kids, you could, you know, dress your your daughter in her brother's hand-me-downs, but you couldn't put the brother in, the, you know, the dress or skirt. That is all changing. But it's like the, the, the conventional wisdom is, you know, that that older people will buy stuff that's marketed to younger people. But God forbid, younger people go near anything that has, um, you know, age cooties. Yeah. Uh, I'm not so convinced that, you know, that that. I mean a classic example is is women's clothing. You know women women make most household purchasing decisions. We spend more on clothes and stuff, but man and women don't want to shop in a place that makes us look look old or where the clothes are frumpy because um, of our own internalized ageism and also because I don't want to wear, you know, one size fits all moos. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. So I- but but I don't think you need a shop for old people. I think you need to shop for a certain kind of style with a size range and people of all ages can shop there.
1: Absolutely. Like when Warby Parker, which is considered a millennial brand, added progressive lenses, just a product, uh, you know, addition, their representation with older consumers went way up because guess what? Older people like hip glasses too. They just need a different kind of glasses.
0: And what's going to happen, I think, with, Uh, hearing aids is what happened with glasses. You know, glasses were originally, of course, for people who actually couldn't see, and then they became a style accessory. And I think once everyone is wearing big purple doodads in their ears, no one will know, of course, whether they're to help you, you know, hear what the person is saying across the room or so you can, you know, blast music in your ears.
1: Yeah. These uh, things I have in my ears right now have hearing a technology in them, it's just not activated yet. So it'll be interesting to see what Apple does and Google with your son's work. Um, Okay, let's shift uh, to another big topic in your book, and that's the world of work. And that's one we talk about a lot as well, um, which is especially important to me on both sides, further and longevity gains, which is uh, unretirement shows that baby boomers are like, I've got Money to retire, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. I want to be, I want to have meaning, I want to have purpose, I want connection with other people. I don't want to just sit around and
0: join the movement to end ageism. I can deliver it all for you.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. But one thing that has changed since you wrote your book is and you you touched on it a minute ago, and that's the perpetual labor shortage. All of a sudden, and employers are still hesitant, but they're being forced in a corner because. Without a lot more immigration, you're not going to correct the birth rate thing for generations. Um, So it's got to be older people, right? So you've got baby boomers coming back to work after the pandemic. You've got Gen Xers, some of whom don't want to quit working and others who can't really because the 401k kind of did us in. (laughs) Yeah,
0: same Uh, with boomers. I mean, you know, the... There are all kinds of older. I mean, poverty is increasing faster in older people than any other segment.
1: I know, and that is something I've I've discovered, which is disheartening.
0: And we're back to you know the, the heterogeneity, the diversity of the population itself. That you know, the one percent is made up of wealthy, and so is the ninety nine. So are the poor. We do tend to accumulate wealth as we get older, but not everyone does. And as you just pointed out, you know, pensions are a thing of the past. But, you know, very, very few Americans have enough saved for a decent retirement. And without, you know, a social safety net, um, we're all impoverished, honestly.
1: So part of the uh, mainstream media awareness that I'm seeing an uptick in is not only the perpetual labor shortage, which has shown up in the Wall Street Journal and and various other places, but uh, the the move toward you You not only have to retain older workers, you have to entice them. Are you seeing this happening, or am I wishful thinking
0: i I, I don't know. You know, I can't say I have, I have tracked that. Um, So I, so this is a guess. I was um, in a, in an Uber from Denver very early this, um, earlier this week with a cab driver who happened to be uh, Iranian. And he was saying that um, about the airport, workers in the airport, they were looking for more staff and, um, and he had a guy who worked for TSA in his cab. And he's like, well, people just don't want to work. And we said simultaneously, people don't want to work for shit wages under shit conditions. Mm. So I think that that's true, whether you want Iranian, you know, Uber, because he himself, he said, I I, I need more work. He's doing an Uber. It's not his career dream. You know, he wants a better paying job. I think the, there are loads of studies that, um, I, there are loads of consultants who specialize in generational differences in the workplace. There's far more data, most of it from the Harvard Business Review showing that these differences are much smaller than we think if they even exist at all. That people want flex time, people wanna be respected, people want time off if there's an emergency people want a decent wage people want health care that's true at any age except when you when you're 65 finally single payer health care kicks in that difference would be eliminated if we had a decent single payer health care system so again i don't see this about age i think workers everywhere are wanting and we see it with sort of the union action lately you know demanding um work work uh, payment and, and work workplace circumstances that they deserve, no matter how old they are, no matter Absolutely. how long they are.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, that's a good point, you know, and I, I think the pandemic brought this to a head where people just finally said the, 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 the move to try to get people back to the office is the most comical thing. Oh. I think I've ever seen. You have no leverage. You know, because you can't find enough people and yet you're trying to alienate the people who do work for you. And they're saying, no, (laughs) I'm not going to do that.
0: I mean, one other point about the workplace situation is that there are also periodic studies that show um, that, that a lot of the barriers for older people are in hiring. So, you know, in that sense, you know, whether there's laws saying it's illegal or not, well, you got to get the job before you can be discriminated against on the job. And people saying, oh, my older workers are just terrific. They're super loyal, blah, blah, blah. Still don't want to hire them. So HR are huge gatekeepers here, and it is not easy to overcome internalized bias. I often think of an experiment performed by an orchestra in Europe. I don't know if you heard this experience experiment, but they were all old white guys—shocker—and they maybe not old, um, but they were predominantly white and male, and they wanted to change that. And they started holding auditions behind a curtain. And then they added a carpet so you couldn't tell what kind of shoes people were wearing or how much they weighed. And then it diversified. But it is really hard, even when they were working to hire people who were different from them with the best of intentions, it still required that literal curtain to help people override these biases, these powerful biases that click into place unconsciously. So what kinds of experiments, I mean, we, we we know how to do this stuff. What kind of regimens, experiments, rewards, protocols could we put in place to overcome those barriers in hiring?
1: Yeah, the research is out there. And again, it knocks down another crazy misconception, but older workers are more loyal they're more reliable they're more productive all of these things we think go away at least with with knowledge workers right i mean physical i mean i never
0: want to say older people are better than or younger people are better than because there's always exceptions and the goal is a mixed age workplace Right. We want yeah. we want to have a really wide range of experiences just, at, you know, ditto ethnicity, you know, ditto geography in our globalized world. So we don't want to, you know, we want we want an age equitable, age blind workforce that looks at what you can do and what you want to do rather than how old you happen to be or what color you are, or who you sleep with.
1: Yeah, you're right. And the goal is an intergenerational workforce and society. I just get a little worked up advocating for my team at this point, <laughs> because of all the, you know, when you have an ism that's against you as a white heterosexual male, this is the first time Welcome I've to our world. Exactly. Right. So no fun. Uh, and, and, and that's what it, it kills me. <laughs> Unless you're unlucky
0: you're going to join us, right? <laughs> Listen, I really I'm glad you said that because it is ageism is the first form of bias many white men encounter and it is you know it, it is awful to be discriminated against on the basis of something you can't change about yourself and because I am a you know an activist and I you know live in sort of you know an aspirational world in my dreams that sense of oh shit so this is what it's like for my wife you know my black friend the 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 people who moved here from india down the street whoever it is someone who is different from you they enjoy less privilege than you as a white man and i take heart in what you're saying that if you have the courage because it's not fun To go, oh, now I see what people are talking about and let that open a window of of empathy. Um, I see enormous power. You know, we need the movement. The face of the movement is very white. It's very female. And we need, obviously, everyone ages and the movement. And it has to represent us all. And white men have a really, really, really important role to play here.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, let's let's close with um, the science fiction aspect of this whole thing. Uh, and you did, again, touch on it in your book. And you had such a pragmatic take <laughs> I on warn you. everything about uh, what we're calling age reversal, uh, medical age reversal, life expen- extension technology, the billions of dollars being poured into longevity life. So I always make a distinction between the longevity economy, which is when older people buy more of everything because they're more active for longer as consumers, and then the longevity industry, which is live to 100, take these pills. And then the more ambitious thing when we reverse your age at the cellular level. Now, I call it science fiction, because that's what it sounds like. And uh, but you acknowledged it, you know, back then because you saw what was happening uh, seven years ago in in the field. But this year, things have have taken a step forward. David Sinclair's team worked for 13 years on cellular age reversal, and they published a paper that said, "Yes, this is possible. We're going to human trials. We don't see any reason why this won't work in humans." That's mind blowing. I'm not telling people. Uh, to count those chickens before they hatch, because nothing about what we're talking about depends on this type of stuff happening. But it's the wild card in my mind. And it's fascinating. So updated take seven years later about this stuff, given recent developments.
0: Yeah. uh, I mean, we don't I don't know that research. I'm curious about what physical system it works on. Uh, you know, there's often there are these tests where you can say, well, you have the lung function of an 18 year old or, you know, the pancreas of a 22 year old. Well, guess what? All those super young organs are hanging out in your 70 year old body. And well, let your me, body
1: yeah, let equal. me, let me sum it up just real quick. Okay. Um, because it, that's, what's remarkable about it. It's not, It's not isolated, it's whole body. So basically, all the research is done on mice, like a lot of things, people don't realize at a cellular level, at least in this context, there's not that much difference between a mouse and a human, you know, with respect to this particular thing. So they were able to literally age a mouse forward so that a young mouse became visibly older, and then they did it the other direction as well. Uh, there was an initial hiccup, as you might expect, with cancerous mutation. They already fixed that part, and that's why they think they can go to human Listen, trials. So that's are, crazy.
0: <laughs> we are woefully ignorant about the basic biology of aging because of ageism. It's not sexy and it's not funded, and that is nuts. So everything that these um you know enterprises are learning about how we age is fantastic. We need to know more of that especially as everyone um uh, you know as as population aging is a permanent global demographic trend. There's more older people than there ever were and we're going to keep growing in numbers and percentage to the the population. Uh so But wouldn't it be nice to have um, some of those billions go to hopefully curing or addressing um, macular degeneration, arthritis, a lot of people working on Alzheimer's, that's more complicated for reasons I'm happy to go into. But a lot of what goes by longevity science is actually immortality science. These are guys who think they are going to live forever. And I, you know, immortality, eternal life does not end well. We know that from myth, myth and, you know, and and fable and the fact that, uh, you know, it is the fact that that life has an end that gives it meaning. I mean, that's a philosophical argument. I don't expect to persuade Peter Thiel, you know, that that I'm right and he's wrong. But the sheer hubris, well, leave aside the scientific and medical hubris, the sheer hubris of the fact that it's a better planet. If like really 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 white wealthy men never never leave it, um, that's not my idea of a better planet. A- and the the gains of this research this is an obvious point and I know it's occurred to you ten thousand times. But these gains will not be evenly distributed. They're not going to help you know farmers in Zimbabwe live longer. They're going to help a global elite live longer if they even work. I think it's philosophically misguided. And even if a in a portion of the elite gets to live longer, I don't want to live long. I don't want to live at all in a world that treats me as a second-class citizen because I'm older. Or you posited in the program notes, if there's all these older people, will that mean that younger people are disrespected? I don't want that world either. For the younger people that I know and love, we want a world In which age is recognized, it's not hidden, it's not a source of shame, it's not a source of pride. An age neutral world, right, where we're not aspiring to be older or younger than we are, we are the age we are, and it shouldn't be an obstacle to opportunity and visibility, whether you're 18 or 118.
1: Absolutely. I love it. And uh, I'm with you. I don't want to live forever, especially with a guy like Peter Thiel. Um, yes, thank you for that. But yeah, <laughs> e- even even on some days in the, in the world, I'm like, yeah, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if uh, I just weren't here, but not, not, not in a bad way. Don't worry. Um, but what I am concerned with, uh, and we'll come for full circle here is while I'm here, I don't care how many years I live. I'm not particularly afraid of death, but if I can be vibrant and have a health span where I can do what I want to do, uh, willing that that perhaps I don't uh, you know, have a disability, I feel like I'm the type of person that if I ended up in a wheelchair, I would make the best of that and do
0: you, all exactly. of that. Right? You are never going to not be a curious, vibrant person. Your essence does not change. As you age, we don't. We become sort of, for better and worse, sort of distilled or reduced like a sauce versions of ourselves. And one advantage of of learning more about um, ableism and prejudice around, you know, stigma of disability, is that this too is a spectrum. Of course, like like everything in life, and there are so I've met extraordinary people. And uh, which has nothing really to do with anything, but I, but I see it, I see it in my own life as well as in the things I read and, and the world around us, you already cannot run as fast as you used to. You have already lost different forms of capacity. You have already compensated for that in calls, some interesting ways. Some are real losses. Some things are better. I mean, perhaps, especially as a woman, if you ask me, sex gets better. As you get older, for example, we can't do it the way we did when we were 20, which I don't miss. I mean, that's a narrow example, but this idea that it's just this progressive erosion of capacity and feeling is a false binary. You are gonna be engaged in the world no matter what. Um, I'll, I'll I'll close with a, a, an anecdote from my dentist who talks a lot, which is lucky because I can't. And he said, I was on a ski lift with a 93 year old. And I said, what's your secret? And he said, don't be an idiot. He said, you can't <laughs> see at 90 the way you could at 40. And we've actually, we, I took this to a group that I work with, old school has a weekly open to anyone uh, meetup for anyone interested in talking about this stuff. Email me, I'll send you an invite. And we turned, we were like, how could we turn don't be an idiot into something positive and came up with what has become an Instagram campaign? Move for tomorrow. If you keep moving, whether it's your fingers, whether it's your ideas, whether it's your feet, you are going to keep moving to the end. It might be in a wheelchair. It's going to be more slowly, but you're going to be in motion and you're going to be engaged in the world.
1: Perfect closing statement. Uh, I love it. Ashton, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, we're going to put links in the show notes, remind people where they can find the book and connect with you on the internet.
0: Thank you. I always, when people say I would try to find you, I'm like, how hard did you try since um, <laughs> <person named. laughs> actually, I think there's, there's not, there's another one on, uh, on Facebook now, but I'm really easy to find. Uh, my website is thischairrocks.com. Uh, I'm at this on, um, on Instagram, uh, and Twitter slash X, although I'm trying to beat the sunk, uh, cost fallacy and wean myself off it. Uh, I have a blog called Yo, Is This Ageist, where you can send in stuff you've seen. Um, And there's tons of just tons of stuff for free on my website. And the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse, OldSchool.info, has hundreds of uh, infographics, podcasts, videos, anything. If you want to learn more about ageism, tons of stuff that's workforce related, tons of stuff that's language related. It's searchable by topic and everything is free except the books.
1: Uh, and tell people what your LinkedIn is because that's where I've oh, been yeah. following I, you. Oh yeah, I and, think
0: it's just Ashton Applewhite. I think I should okay. not, Yeah, I mean, awesome. yeah, search for my we, name. You will find we me. We will
1: link that up as well. I uh, follow Ashton for many, many months now on uh, LinkedIn and she's just always a wealth of knowledge. So again, thank you for your time and your wisdom. And I wish you the best of luck as you continue your mission forward.
0: And I to you, thanks for being part of it.